and welcome to Season 3, Episode 13 of What's Killing My Kale. This is Annie Claude, University of Minnesota Extension Educator for Fruit and Vegetable Production. In this episode, you'll hear an interview that I did with Seth Wannemuller a couple of months ago about kiwi berries. Seth is a graduate research assistant from University of Minnesota who has been studying how to grow and breed kiwi berries for growth in Minnesota. This is a very interesting new crop with uh, what we think to be a lot of promise. So I look forward to presenting this episode to you. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Well, thank you for having me here today. Of course. So um, pretty excited about kiwi berries, and I think a lot of people are excited about kiwi berries because you have about 72 people on your seminar the other day. Um, and as the, you know, the fruit extension person at University of Minnesota, I talk to growers about a lot of different types of fruit crops, but kiwi berries, one that's pretty specialized and it's pretty new to Minnesota. And so when I get questions about kiwi berries, I say that I rely on you and Bob Guthrie as the regional kiwi berry gurus in my mind when I get these questions. So for me, this is also a chance for me to ask you all kinds of the questions that I have on my mind about kiwi berries. <laughs> well, I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, first, can you just introduce yourself and say what you do? Sure. So as you said, my name is Seth Wannemuller. I'm a PhD student at the University of Minnesota in the Department of Horticultural Science. Uh, currently, I am working on kiwi berries, and I'm doing a lot of different research looking at how this uh, crop could be introduced and managed uh, to become a new alternative uh, crop for Minnesota. And so that's kind of it. <laughs> Very exciting. So for somebody who doesn't know what a kiwi berry is, what is a kiwi berry? Is it like a really small kiwi or is it somehow different than the kiwis that we get in the store? And so the answer to that is yes, it is a small kiwi and uh, it's different than what we get in the store because it's about, uh, people refer to it as either a table grape or tomato, uh, cherry tomato sized fruit that is uh, smooth and hairless. So you can eat it exactly as you would a grape. You can just pop it into your mouth. So it's this tiny little uh, kiwi that looks and tastes just like the what you're used to getting in the store, but is much easier, in my opinion, to eat without all of that uh, fuzz in the way. Yeah, I also think they're a lot easier to eat. And we hear the terms hardy kiwi sometimes, and sometimes we hear the term kiwi berry, especially here in Minnesota. So are these two things the same thing? They are indeed the same thing. And just to clarify, there are about 10 different common names uh, for kiwi berry out there. So things like Arctic kiwi, dessert kiwi, mini kiwi, baby kiwi, cocktail kiwi, Siberian gooseberry, all these things are what we would refer to as kiwi berry. <laughs> awesome. I hadn't heard Arctic kiwi before. That is such a cool name. Why don't I call it that? Uh, well, wait, say that again, sorry. Oh, 
I love the term Arctic kiwi. Why don't we call it that? Uh, technically, we could. So Arctic kiwi sometimes very specifically refers to one species of mm. uh, Actinidia. And so Actinidia is the genus that these plants are all in. And Arctic kiwi refers to uh, Actinidia colomicta, which has, as the name would suggest, great cold hardiness. And it's definitely one of the species that we're excited about in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So then speaking of Minnesota, what does kiwi berry production in Minnesota look like right now? Um, to me, you know, it seems that it's a crop that's in its infancy in our state. Is that how you see it as well? Uh, I definitely agree with that. And I would even take it a step further to say that it's in its infancy on a national level in the United States. It's something that there's been some research, some uh, production done, uh, done nationally, but definitely in Minnesota, there's maybe a handful of growers who are experimenting with small plots uh, in addition to their other crops that they grow. And so it's something that's really just on the edge of being looked into and being explored here in Minnesota. Okay, so this could potentially be an exciting opportunity for someone, either a farmer or a gardener who's looking to grow a new crop. So who do you envision would grow hardy kiwis in our state? Like, is this something that home gardeners could grow in addition to farmers? Uh, yeah, I think that this is a very highly versatile crop in that regard, because I think it could be used on a uh, scaled up for larger scale production but it also fits very nicely into a home gardener. So for instance, the species that I mentioned earlier, the uh, Actinidia colomicta, that's really cold hardy, but it also just has this gorgeous variegated leaf with uh, shades of like pink and white and green in the spring. And I think that that would make it very attractive to home gardeners because in addition to getting this amazing uh, kind of tropical fruit in your backyard, you also get this gorgeous foliage that you can look at. Oh, so cool. And speaking of the foliage, I know this question wasn't on my list of questions that I was going to ask you, but you made me think of it. When do you harvest kiwi berries? And when you talk about this cool foliage, when would those colors show up? Is that a foliage color that's present all season or is that during the fall? So the foliage color for Colomicta primarily shows up uh, in the spring. I've heard talk from Dr. Guthrie uh, and some others in the kiwi berry world that it's thought that this color was is used to help attract insects to pollinate the plant. And then as the color fades throughout the season, um, once fruit set has really started. So once fruit has been set, the color starts to fade. And then later in uh, July uh, into August is when these fruits start to get uh, ripe for harvest on the vine. Okay. Do they usually ripen before, let's say, mid-September when frost starts setting in in the northern part of the state? Um, yes. I know that I am typically done harvesting uh, for my experiments probably by... Uh, mid-September into the end of September. So it depends, again, uh, on what species we're talking about. So within the kiwiberry species we have at the, at the Horticultural Research Center, uh, there's 
the more cold hardy cola mixto, which tends to ripen a little bit earlier, maybe like uh, months earlier than Actinidia arguda, which it tends to have a little bit larger of a berry and takes a little bit longer uh, throughout the season to ripen uh, on the vine. And so I know that when thinking about where to plant these different species, uh, Actinidia colomicta has been thought to be appropriate for like maybe the upper half of the state uh, or upper two-thirds of Minnesota. And then this other species would be more suitable maybe to the southern parts of Minnesota. Okay, so growers who are listening from the northern part of Minnesota, just to reiterate, you would be looking at the Conidia species rather than Col the other one? Uh, yes, the Colomicta. Yeah, sorry. Colomicta, okay. And we could say right. Arctic kiwi. Arctic kiwi, okay. <laughs> and so this is kind of unique, you know, that with kiwi berries, you're talking about two different species of the same fruit crop and that's it's kind of unique against the other fruits that we grow because when we're growing apples that's a species <laughs> we're growing grapes that's eh, usually the same yeah the same species um so yeah this is a little uh more complicated for people to wrap their heads around can you just back up a little bit and explain about sure. these two different species sure so uh as I said earlier, there's kind of there. All these kiwi berries are in the genus Actinidia. Okay. And then the two that we at the research center are primarily focusing on are Actinidia colomicta, which can also be referred to as Arctic kiwi. Okay. And then the other uh, species, which is Actinidia arguda, typically called hardy kiwi. Um, and that is a little more, so hardy kiwi, the argudas, are a little more cold sensitive, tend to have a slightly larger berry than the colomicta uh, hmm. species. And uh, the fruit in the arguda has anecdotally been said to have more intense tropical flavors. Hmm. And definitely one of the benefits that I've had of being able to work on this project is I get to, you know, taste all these things as we're growing them. Uh, and I would definitely say that the colomicta, the Arctic kiwi, should I just refer to it as Arctic kiwi from here out or? Um, as long as we say right now, colomicta means Arctic kiwi. All right, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the Arctic kiwi tends to have more floral flavors that are a little more delicate um, than the hardy kiwi, which is the arguda. Okay. And so that's primarily the difference between them. Okay. Are there yield differences that you've noticed? Um, well, certainly there are yield differences whenever we have a polar vortex. Uh, <laughs> um, because last year, unfortunately, of the hardy kiwis that we grow at the research center, I would say approximately 90% of them had to be retrained from the ground up. Uh, because of dieback due to the polar vortex uh, impacting, you know, killing off the upper portions of it. Yeah. But the Arctic kiwi, um, they came through that polar vortex like champs. There was no uh, dieback or very minimal, I should say, you know, like the typical winter dieback that you might see. Uh, and they had a tremendous crop that 
I got to sample and harvest all uh, all season long last year. So hmm. I think that with proper management, both might have comparable um, production amounts, but unfortunately we are also limited at space on space at the research center. So we don't get to do a lot of these like more intense yield trials. Um, mm-hmm. That would be the next step uh, after we kind of identified some of these individuals to be released. Uh, that would be a next step. And we haven't quite reached that yet. Okay. So you said something that stood out to me, which was that the hardy kiwi, um, which, what was the species name again? Actinidia arguda. Arguda. Okay. You said that that one uh, through the polar vortex had a lot of winter dieback. So has the research team come to a conclusion yet about whether or not that species is going to be considered, quote, zone four hardy? Ah, and that's where the exciting thing about the polar vortex comes in because we did have a subgroup of the that uh, species that came through and actually fruited for us last year. Okay, and that's so, great. Yeah, so there is hope uh, for that species um, to be grown throughout the state if it is maybe one of these subgroups. However, another step that the university is looking at is to maybe, you know, take the Arctic kiwi, take the hardy kiwi, cross them, and try to get the best of both worlds, try to get the cold hardiness with the larger fruit size and see if um, something like that could be made. And some steps are being taken to try to do that here, so. Okay, so you're um, part of the research program that's still in the process of breeding kiwi varieties that can be grown in Minnesota, is that right? That is correct. Okay, so are there any varieties that you think that growers can grow somewhat reliably that are already available? So I will say, um, besides the colomixa, which have no issue with the cold here, mm-hmm. if you look for some of the uh, green petiole is what uh, Dr. Guthrie always refers to them as the green petiole ecotypes. So some of those would be um, like Natasha or Tatiana, which are currently available through different vendors online. Um, you could probably grow those very reliably. Those are the ones that came through the polar vortex and actually fruited for us last year. However, uh, I think that that's still one thing that we're trying to determine because the, some of the most popular Arguda or some of the most popular hardy kiwi varieties uh, may suffer from cold damage. And if we have increasing polar vortexes as uh, climates change, you know, maybe that's one that we would be hesitant to recommend over some of these that we've seen actually survive. So that would be like uh, Tatiana, uh, Natasha, uh, Changbai Mountain. Those are three cultivars that are already on the market that you can get from uh, stores or growers online or producers online, pardon me. Uh, 
but they also come with their own drawbacks. I mean, they also had some disease uh, present on the on the fruit, which is totally just a cosmetic uh, disease. It doesn't actually impact the flavor or uh, anything like that of the fruit. But so it's still kind of you know we can maybe say that some of these would be best grown, but we can't say that for certain as of yet. Okay. Well, I do know, you know, some growers who are willing to experiment with varieties knowing that they may or may not be successful. So um, those three varieties that you mentioned, I, I can see some of the mm -hmm. people I work with being interested in trying those. Um, what about the colomicta? If somebody wants to go out and buy a variety of a colomicta, what are some of the variety names? Um, let's see. So I know there's I believe that there's Krupnocladnia. Uh, that might be a variety. Yeah. So a lot of the Kolomikta varieties have these uh, Russian uh, mm. names. And so there's like Krupnocladnia, uh, Sentiobraskaya, uh, Aromatinaya. Those are three that we grow at the research center. Of those, I would say... Um, you could certainly try any of them. I know that Krupno Pladnaya uh, may be one that we are interested in looking at, uh, but really we have some exciting, I think, uh, selections that do a pretty good job of bearing fruit uh, that is flavorful and of a pretty decent size. And I'm hoping that in the next few years, uh, these can be, some of those, or at least one of them, could be released for growers if they're interested in it. Okay, that would be great. So growers should just kind of, if they're interested in this, they should just kind of keep in touch and keep their eye out for news from the Kiwiberry Breeding Program then, if um, they're interested oh, sure. in helping to trial some of the new varieties. Awesome, sure. that's good to know. And I mean, we're always, oops, sorry. No, we're go ahead. We're always looking to... Uh, uh, we're always looking to, you know, connect with growers. I know that uh, Dr. Guthrie has a license to propagate some of these things and uh, has worked with some growers in Wisconsin and throughout the state that have shown interest uh, to start trying to get them some of these uh, varieties to grow. So he's definitely a great resource. He is the Kiwiberry aficionado extraordinaire. Uh, I would even say he's probably the uh, kiwiberry expert in North America. So. so a good person to have in Minnesota and a good person to know. Correct. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So um, I know that, you know, from the questions I gave you, we've totally gone off track, but I think this has been a really, like, interesting discussion. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to keep going off track. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I'm fine as long as uh, I make sense for you. Okay. <laughs> so I think we should get into how to grow kiwi berries for a few minutes because there are probably people listening to this who are thinking, okay, you've listed varieties. Um, let's say I want to try some of these next year. And how do that? So uh, you help manage the kiwi berries at the research center. So you probably know a thing or two about this. Um, can you talk about some of the main things that growers need to know when growing berry like how do you establish a kiwi berry 
row, like a row of kiwi berries, or if somebody wants to do a small field of them, um, what would that look mm -hmm. like? And I know that this is a crop that needs to be trellised. So maybe talk about um, how to how to set up a kiwi berry planting and what the trellis needs to look like. Could you help us out with those two things? Uh, I think that I, yeah, I think that I have some. I don't know maybe the specifics on some of the uh, trellis uh, establishment. Oh, that's I know, okay. So for instance, uh, okay. Well, so for instance, there's kind of two uh, options that growers have. Typically in kiwi fruit, you see either a T-bar system, which is basically a post with, uh, you know, a perpendicular post on top, making it kind of a T, with then uh, trellis wires, probably, uh, I believe it's like six inches apart, and there's five of them, and that uh, could make one row, or you can have this pergola system, which is more like a grid system, uh, and tends to be, tends to help control some of the vine vigor. I think that right now, I would not be able to 100% make a recommendation over one or the other, but the T-bar system is easier to get equipment through. Uh, you can get thing, get uh, machines down there to spray these if you need to. Um, so that might be one that I would lean towards if people are thinking of just setting up a small system uh, would be this T-bar system. Okay. And then... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, it sounds like it's somewhat similar to a grapevine trellis system. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So actually what we have at the HRC, it was, uh, I don't want to say abandoned, but it was given to the Kiwiberry program uh, from the grape program. And so it, it is an old grape uh, T-bar trellis that we grow things on. Okay. And so... Naturally, um, there's a progression of, you know, you put the plant in the ground and then you have to like grow it up. And so like the first year, you want to focus primarily on, you know, the root development. The second year, you want to uh, work on developing the trunk. And so that's usually you choose the strongest uh, shoot and you uh, keep it, you know, you have a, po uh, what do I want to call it? Um, you have like bamboo or something that you can attach the trunk to because it's not going to be able to necessarily stay up on its own. You got to remember these are vining plants that in, in their native ha habitat grow main, grow along like forest edges or clearings and grow up the trees. So they need the support because they're not going to be able to support their bulk by themselves with this trunk. And so second year is trunk establishment. And then the third year would be something more like cordon development. So like kind of in grapes, you would have uh, these two main arms that you train along the trellis. And then after that, it's really just being uh, on top of pruning throughout the year, because especially with uh, Actinidia arguda, the hardy kiwi, that can be very vigorous and it can take a lot of time to um, prune and maintain. And so these things, so you need to give them space too. On the trellis, you probably would plant on like a 10 foot center at least. You want to give them about 
I think it's recommended somewhere around like 150, 200 square feet for each vine to uh, grow and fill in. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair amount of space. So you might be planting them 10 feet apart in the row? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And then you have to remember that these are also um, plants that have male and female flowers on separate plants, which means that you have to have uh, male plants for pollination to occur. And so you need about, uh, the recommendation is probably one male plant for every six female plants or uh, at the very minimum, every eight female plants. So you have to also account for that in your uh, layout of your establishment. Okay. All right. This is a really helpful overview. So if somebody is trying to figure out um, plan for next year, how would I establish a kiwiberry uh, planting and what it would require? This is a nice overview. And what yield can people expect off of one plant? You don't have to get specific Ooh. numbers, but like, what's the, are we talking like a small basket um, off of one plant over the season? Or are we talking, you know, 10 to 20 pounds? What, what's the range? Um, sort of? I would say it's even more than 10 to 20 pounds. I think that uh, once you have a vine truly established, it can, I mean, produce hundreds of fruit. So you could probably get, uh, I mean, like even for our plantings, which we keep our plants relatively small because it's a research plot, and I still get at least uh, three to 400 fruit off of these vines each year. Uh, and you would probably be looking at like um, maybe 50 to 60 pounds uh, per vine, and that might be underselling it. Um, but yeah, so they can be very productive vines with uh, proper management and pruning. Wow, yeah. So if somebody, if uh, let's say a, a, a market farmer, somebody who sells to farmer's markets is thinking about just trying kiwis, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they would plant, let's say eight female plants and one or two male plants. Um, and then that's mm -hmm. enough to trial it, figure out if their customers at the market are interested in it, um, without having to put a big investment in it, because you're saying that one plant can produce quite a few. And if they're selling them in just pint sized containers, that one plant can create a good amount of pints, I would say. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you can find these things in the market right now. Uh, you can find these kiwi berry, like whenever I go to Cub, uh, for a very brief time throughout the year. So that's another disadvantage. Uh, that's one disadvantage that we're also working on is some of the storage life of these. So uh, maybe this is derailing from where we were, but... Uh, that's No, that's a good transition. Go for it. Okay. So the storage life of these kiwi berry are not necessarily as long as kiwi fruit. So whereas kiwi fruit you can store for months, uh, I would say that kiwi berry with appropriate storage, so think cold storage with uh, low flow uh, containers, that would probably get you about seven to eight weeks of storage. Um, at the end of eight weeks, I would say that you're starting to push into the fruit being slightly unpalatable. Um, and so it's just a very, it's a short window. And so you can get these at, these fruit at Cub, like I was saying, 
but only for maybe a brief period in um, like July, August, or whenever New Zealand is producing these. So that would be like February, uh, March. And so and if you look at the pricing on those, they are getting a good price. I mean, a package of kiwi berries, typically the Actinidia arguda, uh, has maybe like eight to ten berries in it, and they're trying to sell them for, uh, I think it's about seven or eight dollars a container. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. So, and now, Yeah, that is pretty good. Sorry. I was going to say, so you were talking about the the storage life being seven to eight weeks. I mean, that mm -hmm. relative to a lot of other crops, that's actually pretty long, you know, not compared to apples, but if we're comparing it to um, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, you know, other berry crops that farmers in Minnesota are, are growing, diversify their operations, like something with a seven to eight week storage life is pretty good. I would say that that's a selling point for this crop. Um, it may be, but again, that's like best case scenario. So I would say okay. typically what typically what I get, um, I get about six weeks of six weeks of storage. Mind you, I don't have any kind of uh, currently how I harvest is I harvest, put them in their containers, put them in cold storage, and that's all I do for harvest. So maybe uh, producers might have some method of gently washing them. Um, or something like that to remove and improve storage. I know that uh, Oregon State, uh, Bernadine, Dr. Bernadine Strick out at Oregon State and her students have done a lot of research looking at post-harvest like storage and um, yeah, and they've, they found that cold storage can actually, you know, prolong the life of these things. So okay. that would be one thing. You definitely have to have cold storage if you wanted to keep them uh, for any amount of time. Okay, so if somebody's thinking about growing kiwi berries and they want to research the storage requirements of them, you mentioned um, Dr. Strick's research at Oregon State University. So I would recommend that growers try to read up on on that, um, as well as all the other topics that we've been looking for. But you know, since uh, storage and post harvest that has food safety implications as well. Um, so I would you know I would read up on that. Um, make sure you're able to uh, to comply with food safety uh, mm -hmm. as far as post storage and, and washing the fruit or not washing the fruit. So do you know um, what's the best way for people to access that information? Would you recommend just Googling um, Oregon State University Kiwiberry? Um, that is one way. I will say, uh, just so that everyone knows, there's pretty much three primary universities that have looked into Kiwiberries. Us, uh, Oregon State, which I would say, uh, I know that Bern uh, Dr. Bernadine Strick has a uh, grower's, like kind of a grower's guide, and I'm blanking on where to find that. It may be on like Oregon State University Extension. Uh, and then the final lab would be the Iago Hale Lab out in, uh, at the University of New Hampshire. And they actually uh, just had a graduate student who has put up a production guide and a very detailed uh, website called northeastkiwiberries.com. And not, not to say, we also have a lot of extension uh, and we are developing extension materials here at the university, but you could also read up 
uh, at the northeastkiwiberries.com to uh, try to get a very detailed. It is a very, very detailed grower's guide for the East Coast. And I think okay. some of those some of those practices, uh, you know, can be used here. Some of them maybe don't make as much sense, but it's a very good beginner's guide too. Okay, awesome. Um, one other thing that I wanted to go back to as far as the sales and marketing of kiwi berries, you told me that you're researching customer willingness to pay for kiwi berries. Um, can you talk a little mm. bit about what you've been trying to, what question you've been trying to research there and what your results are? Sure. Um, I can't dive into results too much right now because we're trying to uh, put together, I'm still trying to uh, parse out some of the results. But the question we were trying to answer is basically, how do kiwi berries perform in the market compared to other berry crops like strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, or blueberries? So these would be crops that uh, would be compete that it would be competing with in the market. And so to answer this question, we had a taste panel uh, set up. Well, I guess it would be more of an economic uh, panel set up where participants got to try uh, four different kiwi berry varieties. And then these other four berries that I mentioned, the strawberry, blackberry, blueberry, raspberry. Uh, and then they rated what they liked, what they didn't like for each berry. And then everyone anonymous, anonymously went to the back of the room and bid on these packages of each of these fruits and to see uh, which, how they were bidding and if they were bidding uh, on kiwi berries similar to um, these other berries. And so, so right, so this gets at the, their like willingness to pay for these kiwi berries. And what we have seen, I mean, as is pretty common with new products on the market, until people have uh, gotten familiar with them, uh, there, there might be a slightly lower willingness to pay just because they don't know the fruit. Uh, it's something new and that sometimes can impact their purchasing habits. However, what I'm trying to work on uh, now with the data is to see what group of consumers, so who in our sample in our study would be the target audience for these fruit and so is for instance maybe it's uh people who are more willing to try new foods or uh something like that and so it's just trying to figure out um yeah kind of like who's going to be buying these things and are they a marketable product in the in minnesota and i I think from the data so far, I can say that they are a marketable product. It's just you have to be smart about who you're marketing to and where you're marketing. Okay. Yeah, maybe as this research gets more down the line, you know, farmers might, it might be good to involve farmers in that and get a few people who are interested in trialing some kiwi berries at the farmer's market. Is that something that you've already done or have explored? Uh, we have not as of yet done that. Uh, right now, it has primarily just been uh, on-campus studies that, you know, we have participants come to. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that would definitely, I would definitely love to do some more of this marketing research as long as the kiwi berry, you know, crop uh, 
cooperates with us and we actually get some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No more polar vortex. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think while we didn't go in the, the sequence of questions that we had planned to, I think you actually ended up answering most of the things that we wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, I'll ask one more question and then if there's anything that we missed that you want to mention, feel free. But the last question I wanted to ask is, so if I'm a farmer or a gardener thinking about growing kiwi berries, how should I decide if this is a crop that works for me? Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that it kind of depends on how much time you're uh, willing to invest because some of this, I mean, some of this can be a little bit uh, time intensive, but I think that if you're just willing to trial it, because you don't need, I mean, perfect land. It doesn't have to be um, super great gradient. You just need kind of a sheltered, uh, along a tree line uh, planting that you can grow these things on. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not, I think that everyone should be considering uh, growing these, but I don't know if there's like any great ways. This was actually one of the questions that I was like, I was spending a lot of time trying to think about uh, oh, that's how fine. best to answer this. That's <laughs> fine. It was kind of a weird question. So, <laughs> so don't worry about it. Um, and I think, you know, if somebody's listening to this podcast, they're probably already considering whether this is a crop that would make sense for them. So is there anything that you think we missed or that you really wanted to mention today? Um, I think Overall, that pretty much covers it. I just want people to know that it's possible in Minnesota uh, to grow these amazing tropical flavors right in your backyard if you want to. I mean, it's just something that I never would have imagined possible. And until I had actually tried these kiwi berries, I didn't realize that it is exactly like eating a kiwi that you can grow through this harsh, cold Minnesota winters. And so it's just yeah, I just want everyone to consider them. And uh, if they have questions, sure, feel free to reach out and uh, ask. Certainly, Dr. Guthrie, he knows a lot uh, about these things. Um, but me too, if you so feel like it. And I would be happy to answer any other questions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's so exciting to me that you guys are working on this crop and that, you know, not only are few varieties available for people who want to try it out, but you're, that you're uh, working on developing varieties that can really fit for Minnesota. So um, very exciting new opportunities and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. <laughs>